My name is Bonnie Landry. I'd like to welcome you to my podcast with my co-hosts, Elizabeth and Christina, where we explore the questions about homeschooling and family life and how we can make joy normal. Elizabeth, hello, good evening. How are you? Good, how are you? Good, I'm well. So what is it like getting ready for Christmas with five children now? It's very exciting. Although, you, you know, this year I don't feel as much in the Christmas spirit as I normally do. And I've heard that from a lot of people. How? So I don't know. We're we're trying to, we did all of our Christmas shopping in November because we wanted yeah. to really just embrace Advent this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try to do that too. Yeah. And so I, maybe that's part of it. You know, it's yeah. like a new routine, but we've been praying the St. Andrew Christmas Novena. Do you guys do that too? Oh, no. Okay. It's kind of, I won't say difficult. It's a very simple prayer, but you have, you're have you supposed to pray it 15 times a day until the 24th. <laughs> so That's awesome. It's, it's a kind of big undertaking. Um, but then I had a suggestion that I read from somebody that was, if you add it at the end of your rosary, like every day, Every decade, you add three of those, the novena prayers. Oh, then you get to fifteen okay. at the end of the Smart. rosary. Easy peasy. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Interesting. I'll have to look that one up. So, yeah, are you finding that most people I know have said that after about their third child, it didn't feel more difficult with every child that you added? Right. I certainly know that was true for me. It's just, okay, this is what I'm doing now. This is yours. Totally. You're so in the groove that it doesn't feel like a burden. Plus your older kids are naturally getting older by the time you've had, you know, five, six kids. Right. Right. Yeah. I will say, I mean, your first kid is, it's difficult just because it's new territory. You've never experienced Mm -hmm. this before. Adding a second one that I think was the hardest. (laughs) But then the third and on, it's just kind of a a non-issue. I see people questioning, you know, we have two kids. Should I, should we have more? And I mean, like, naturally I'm going to say yes. (laughs) But, you know, a lot of people are like, oh no, two's hard enough. And I'm just thinking, okay, but it gets easier because your first ones are, as you said, getting older, you know, they're not as like hands-on, need everything. They're independent, right? I just see it as a blessing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's such a beautiful gift. And I think too, like the, I think one of the hardest times is to have two or three really small kids, right? And what you, you know, you're so handicapped in many ways about what you can do and all that. And at the same time, uh, that's where most people stop. They don't even know that, there's, there's something else available. You know what I mean? There's some other experience that they could be having, you know, so they stop because that's the hardest time when people rethink that after their kids are a little bit older. I think that's a nice, uh, a nice little gift they can give their, their children as a little bit later on sibling too, if I'm, you know, not convinced that I'm ready to give this up. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and it's fun, especially the holiday season, you know, Christmas time, because my older ones are excited to share with the younger ones yeah. this season, you know, and um, it's great. We actually, yeah. and, and show them all the ropes, right? Yes. Yeah. And December is becoming busy for us because our oldest daughter's birthday is on Monday, the 13th. So we get okay. birthdays and then oh. Christmas. 
St. Yeah. Lucy. St. Lucy? No, it's Lady Guad. Yeah, St. Lucy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So are you going to start a St. Lucy tradition? I, I am. I got the battery crown and I bought her a little, <laughs> um, what do you call it? The nightgowns, the white nightgowns. Aww. And we'll we'll try out a little procession around the house. And Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Love it. So we had a Christmas-oriented question submitted, which I thought was a good question to address. And then I think you had some other questions as well, but should we jump yeah, in? Yeah, you you go ahead and get us started. Okay, so basically the question that we received was, what do you do about Santa Claus? Like, how do you help your kids to understand uh, Santa or introduce the idea of Santa or, you know, if you're on the exit plan, how do I, how do I, um, share with them Santa? The question was sort of oriented at me in the sense that, okay, I understand you don't do Santa Claus in your house. So what, what do you do? How does that look? How do you present this information to your children? For me, this was a question. I'll just give you a bit of background. So before I was Christian, when I had my first daughter, I just, the idea of, of not being truthful with her bothered me, right? So it wasn't a Christian issue or, you know, I didn't see it as a problem like with other people if they didn't, they felt like they wanted to tell their kids about Santa Claus, but it just felt wrong to me. I feel like maybe when I was, it wasn't a big deal when I found out there was no Santa Claus, but it was one of those things that, that I thought, well, why, why would we do that? I don't don't really get it. So for her, when she was little, I, I just said, well, Santa Claus is actually based on a real person, um, St. Nicholas, and some in some countries they call him Santa Claus. And this is just something that we, we can still have fun with it. We can go sit on Santa's knee. We can still have fun with it. But we need to understand that the birthday of Christ, Christmas, is actually not about Santa Claus at all. So it's about the birth of Christ. The Santa Claus story, and then as I became a little more formed as over the next you know couple of years as a Catholic... Then I was able to sort of explain the full story to her. And really, the, essentially, what was happening was that because the two feasts are close together, they kind of melded together, right? As my kids got older, I was just, my other kids, I has, as I had more kids and they got older, you know, my other kids were just brought into that. It's a beautiful story of Santa Claus and we, or, or St. Nicholas, and we celebrate the Feast of St. Nicholas. So we have a little celebration. They always got a present on the morning of St. Nicholas. I have a big sort of St. Nicholas that I would put out and he would have gold coins and presents in front of him. So we would have a celebration. Some people I know put out shoes and that sort of thing. We would have a celebration about St. Nicholas so that it could be really set apart from the birth of Christ. It was just never really a big deal. My kids knew and other kids didn't know. And, you know, whatever, one time, you know, a couple times in our life, we had to say, okay, you know, these kids believe that Santa Claus comes down the chimney and, and gives them presents on Christmas morning. And you're, you're not to burst that bubble for them if they want to, you know, and so we talked about all those things like the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny and all those things. You know, some people like to play that game with their kids. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic way. I mean, in a, you know, it's like it, it, essentially it is kind of a game. Every family gets to choose what they're going to do. And so, and so for our family, we've chosen that we're going to play these games because yeah, we did the tooth fairy, we did the Easter bunny, you know, but we, we also were really upfront about that those things weren't actually real, that they were games. So it just didn't seem like those two parallel things just didn't ever seem to be an issue, but we wanted them to also be respectful of, of other families' choices in in all of this. So for me, it was a never a big decision, a big moral issue. It just seemed really obvious that we should just 
yeah, sure, we can go along with these things, but we also don't have to pretend that they're real. So that's just how it rolled out in our family. It was pretty simple, really. My husband and I both come from different backgrounds. So my parents kind of went all out with Santa Claus. And we always celebrated um, the Feast of St. Nicholas, just chocolate coins or a small gift. But Santa Claus was a pretty big deal in my house growing up. So far as there was one year where there was footprints in on my parents carpeting from the ash from the fireplace (laughs) (laughs) so um that was how i did it my parents did it and it was really special to me and it was really just very magical and now growing up i was born and raised catholic but it was more of a we'd go to mass on sundays and i went to catholic school but that was kind of the extent of my um i guess catholic practice of the faith. You know, I knew that we were celebrating the birth of Christ on Christmas. I never felt like Santa. I mean, as a kid, kids are naturally, no, so kids are, are, you know, very much like me, you know, they, everything's about them for a good time. So I think it's natural for Christmas to feel like it's about receiving gifts. And what I noticed in myself is even with the upbringing with Santa Claus being kind of highlighted, you know, maybe even more than Jesus with growth and maturity, you know, I, I came to recognize the importance of Christmas day celebration and Santa Claus had a different meaning to me. And it was more, I started recognizing that, that that magic that kids experience with the anticipation of Santa Claus is helping them to learn the anticipation of Christ's right. birth. And so it, it, that's kind of how my husband and I now do things with the kids. We don't lie. If they ask yeah. us, you know, it, like my oldest last year, it's when he flat yeah. out asked, let me backtrack a little bit. When our kids start to question Usually what my husband and I do is we respond in a way to see if they're ready for this whole unpacking information, right? Right. So usually we will say things like, what do you think? You know, and and seeing if it leads to a discussion, you know, and if they flat out say, yeah, then we just kind of let it be. And we'll just say, all right. So we're not lying, but we are waiting for them to kind of lead that conversation. So last year we told my son um, because he asked and he was, I guess, slightly disappointed. He more flipped really quick into, can I help? You know, because we explained to him, you know, that now you get, because like we are Santa and you get to help nurture that. Yeah. Anticipation with your siblings. And it kind of in our home turns into this beautiful type thing. That's now. I have a couple kids down the line. I'm not sure how they'll respond. And so I, I'm i always kind of anticipating and figuring out how to handle it with each person. Yeah. And how to answer questions without lying. Because I mean, I think that that's probably something that whether a person chooses Santa or not, lying is just a bad policy. Well, right. <laughs> you know, 
When I was growing up, and this might have been one of the reasons why that sort of affected me, uh, one of the girls I went to high school with, in high school, still believed in Santa because her parents went to these unbelievable lengths to make sure they would have tape recordings, they would put deer prints on their the roof of their house. And so even when she started questioning, they would go way out of their way to have her believe. And like, if that had been me, I'd have been angry. Yeah. Why did you make that up? That's, well, that's just unfair. Reaching maturity. Yeah, 16 or whatever, you know, yeah. and it was just like, we were all just, and she was trying to convince the rest of us, no, you guys, he is actually real. And we felt so bad for her yeah. that her parents had, had made such a show of it, right? It didn't make sense. I don't know. How, how did that play out? I don't know. Right. And I've asked my kids, like, what, you know, did you feel like Christmas was less magical because it wasn't, you know, you didn't have the Santa myth as part of your life? And they were all like, no, <laughs> just wasn't a thing. <laughs> no, Christmas is pretty magical. <laughs> I think a lot of that yeah. is led by the parents. I think that as right. long as we are always directing it toward the birth of Christ. Because, I mean, I grew up having, I didn't have a clue that Christmas was a Christian holiday. Like, how did I miss that? I was raised in a non-Christian home, but, you know, Christmas. <laughs> like, you know, all those Christmas carols. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in my parents' defense, I was about seven when they left the boot prints in the living right. room. <laughs> you know, I was a lot yeah. younger. Um but my husband's family, they just flat out, they told, <laughs> they told him that Saint, Santa Claus is St. Nicholas who died, you know, hundreds of years ago. And, and so we just celebrate. And so I guess a sweet old lady at church, you know, looked at my husband when he was about five or six and said, you know, are you excited for Santa to come? And my husband looked at her and goes, Santa died many years ago. <laughs> I guess my in-laws are kind of like, oh, wrong approach. <laughs> wrong approach, yeah. Well, the thing is, that's the thing. You have to adapt sometimes. One of my sons, this is so funny, because like, you know, we were just really honest. We were just really light about it. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah, not a big deal. You know, yeah, yeah, Santa, you know, go sit on Santa's knee, we do whatever. But my my son was about five, and he said, I don't care what you say, Santa is real. <laughs> only that particular year that he was going to really he just you know the idea of uh of not getting gifts I think was just a bit too concerning for him (laughs) he probably had a friend who said to him well you don't believe in Santa you don't get presents right (laughs) oh yeah I I know kids can say some interesting Mm -hmm. things the other thing that I think is really um really detrimental and not to make any kind of a judgment call but I think that we can we're always trolling around looking for ways to get our kids to behave. And I think that saying Santa won't bring presents if they don't behave is is something that, you know, it's like the ultimate carrot and stick for a kid. And I think that it's just really detrimental to family life, right? As a, as a tool to get behavior to change, right? Right. Yeah. We've never used Santa and gifts as a way to, to get it. You know, isn't that kind of like your character? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So don't use Santa as a pawn. That's not fair. Right. (laughs) You know, and it's not, you can imagine how disturbing that would be to kids when they misbehave because they are going to misbehave that we say, Oh, well, you know, 
this big magical thing. I'm just going to squash all that magic right now. Right. And I think I, I don't know much about elf on the shelf, but my impression of elf on the shelf is kind of a similar thing that the elf is kind of watching you. Yeah, we, we do elf on the shelf as just a fun little, where is he today? You know, it's not okay. more than like, a- I don't really know anything about it. There's just a couple things that people had said. I thought, Oh, is that a new pawn? Yeah. In terms of the, the getting kids to behave. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I know a lot of people have started buying like little stuffed um, shepherds, you know, to kind of have that same right. idea, but, you know, a little more Christian. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was just going to say there's a movie that kind of... I mean, it's Hollywood, right? But shows what happens if, you know, you use that kind of carrot and stick with presents and Santa. Um, have you heard of Fat Man? No. Okay. It's Mel Gibson as Santa Claus. So it's like two of my favorite things really? combined. I'm going to write it down. Uh, yeah. It's, I can't remember if there's language in it. I'm sure Okay, I'll is. look it up. But um, it's about this really spoiled kid who gets coal for Christmas because of how he's behaving. I mean, he's like a vile kid. Right. Um, and so he hires a hitman to take out Santa. <laughs> and, <laughs> so it's, my husband and I watched it. I think it was last weekend. And it, yeah, it, I mean, it didn't disappoint, but right. other people might think Is it new? So. Um, it came out last year. Oh, okay. Okay, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. That's funny. We yeah. watch all the Santa I'm, Claus movies and all that too. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, whatever. I mean, I have to say, I'm not in any way recommending this movie. Okay. I'm just sharing. I watched it. I like Mel Gibson. So yeah. interesting. <laughs> okay. Okay. Don't don't go no further. Okay. So you had yeah. some other questions. Should we address those? I did. I yeah. Let me pull them up. Um. Okay, so these are just kind of all over the place. Has nothing to do with right. Christmas necessarily. Um, I, I think it's just more so things that have been on my right. mind. We kind of take off December from right. schooling, and so naturally with that comes a little bit of that guilt mm-hmm. because I grew up in the school system, and you get off like the week of Christmas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So this is kind of out of ordinary for me. This is our first year really kind of doing this. One thing that I kind of started thinking, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on why is it that we as homeschooling parents tend to rely so much on this gold standard of public school education and what their expectations are And how can we shift to, it's more so, like, we have our kids' best interest at heart. I heard a a mom talking about this the other day. Um, And so why are we trusting so much that what the public school system is doing is what we should be doing at home? Yeah, well, I think that, that we just need to cast a quick glance at our own public school education uh, to feel better about what we're doing simply because we know none of the may I've in my entire public school education, there were three or four outstanding teachers, right? That right. Of, of subjects they really 
uh, got me hooked on or, or really brought me along on, on things that I didn't like or whatever. But I would say, you know, 80% of my public school education and, and probably true for most people that, uh, was, was fairly sad, you know, um, there may have been mm -hmm. poor teachers, there may have been, um, two overcrowded classrooms, there may have been, um, you know, subjects that you didn't understand and there wasn't enough help for you to, to really understand them better. Uh, so, so a, a glance backwards will be a really convincing, um, factor. I suspect that, and this is just speculation on my part, that the overall quality of teachers is probably better than it used to be. And I think that more people mm. go into education because they love teaching children, because they love children and, and, have the gift of being a teacher. Uh, but at one time it was a choice made because you get paid decently well and you get summers and Christmas off, you know? So I think a lot of people went into teaching that probably not the right reasons. And I think that that has something that has probably changed that most people are doing it out of, out of love or commitment. Mm -hmm. However, what a, the quality of education has continued to slide, even though the quality of teachers is better. I think because what we've seen is that we always have to, the quality of the family life, the quality of, of home life, the quality of parenting, even I would say, you know, in many cases has, has diminished. We have to, the school system has to adapt to kind of, in a sense, the lowest common denominator. So unless you're going to a small private school that is very, very committed to a particular educational paradigm, we know, whatever, whatever that might be, that yeah. we're often looking at the lowest common denominator. That doesn't mean you know, there's something good about that, that we should, the kids who are, you know, sliding through the cracks, we should absolutely be addressing that more. I don't know. I don't have the solutions for it, but, you know, is there some way more, more educational assistance in the classroom, more help at home? I don't know. I don't know how to solve that problem. I think that overall that a lot of people that I've spoken to who've pulled the kids out of school in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, so they, you know, they just weren't really learning anything, right? And a lot of behavioral problems in the classroom, which of course just takes up time. And mm -hmm. so what time you might spend lighting a fire under those, you know, those impressionable minds is instead spent on behavioral problems, right? It doesn't take very many kids to sh totally shake up a class. Sorry, sorry. I don't know if I'm actually addressing the question that you asked. <laughs> How can we feel better about that? Right. So yeah. So knowing, being realistic that that a public school education isn't the gold standard. There might be some beautiful gold standards out there in terms of educational philosophy or small private schools or cottage schools, or, you know, there might be some gold standards in the sense that, well, that's, re that's really a worthwhile mm -hmm. activity to pursue that philosophy or to pursue that, mm -hmm. that method. But public school hasn't been, and I don't think ever will be, the gold standard that that we might uphold it to mistakenly really so it's it's a mistake to do so it would be a rare public school that could provide could provide that rain right yeah I, I guess it's just something always in the back of my mind that feeling of inadequacy you know like because there are days where we you know we'll do some subjects and then not have time for others mm -hmm. just because of life. And I have an infant and a toddler and, 
you know, it's sometimes it just feels like maybe I have one day out of the week that's like a successful school day and the rest are just, we hit subjects here and there Mm -hmm. and do well in them, you know, but sometimes it's kind of hard because in the classroom, it's pretty consistent, same thing every day. At least that's what I remember, (laughs) even though I don't remember what I learned. But then (laughs) because something's taught at the same time every day for the same amount of time doesn't mean you're learning. We have to remind ourselves of these things when we sort of imagine we're falling short. The other thing, too, that I think is important to remember is at times when we sort of take time off, we're not taking time off at all. Say at Christmas, for example, Christmas just becomes this giant unit study. Even when we take, if we took an actual two weeks off where we did absolutely nothing or a month off where we did absolutely nothing in terms of our school subjects, our sit down work, where writing letters, we're writing Christmas cards, we're baking, we're going out and doing good services, we're maybe visiting people we don't get a chance to visit. There's so much important work that happens that's life skills. With every life skill, there comes some of the subjects that that we're going to experience in school comes into that. It's an interesting thing because really the subjects should be upholding what we need to pursue for life skills. That's really what we should be aiming for is that, that these subjects that I'm teaching my children are going to be, are going to aid their life skills. Okay. And so when we have opportunity to just focus on the life skills for a while, that's a good thing. (laughs) That's a really good thing. So that their actually application of, of the subjects is, is met in the life skills. Yeah. That's a good point. And if I can share a story we our kids do Secret Santa with each other. I mean, they're all small enough that right. it's nice. my husband and I paying for the gifts still, but it's they pick them out, they wrap them. And yeah. so my older two have, you know, savings from birthdays Aww. and stuff. And so we told them that this year they need to pitch in four dollars. Just, you know, to kind of help them learn to give from your own. One of my sons, right. my oldest, yeah, picked out a gift for his, his, it's one of his brothers. And he, it it was $60 or something like that. And I was like, this is like, uh, your dad and I are only giving 20. If you really are set on doing this, you're going to have to give this extra 30 or 40, whatever it is. And he goes, I don't care. I want to do this. (laughs) I've never done something so nice for my brothers. And he started. Yeah. And I, you know, I just kind of was Aww. like, okay, I have to ride this with Aww. him. And so we pitched in a little bit more so that he could do it. But Oh, so sweet. What a beautiful thing, though. If that's the basis for his, you know, wanting to do, because he knew that he knows that the brother will really, really love this. That's lovely. So math, right? Right. Math <laughs> and character building, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. When uh, my kids were small, we used to take, depending on their age, either we would give them, you know, sort of $20, $15 or $20, or they would, you know, give it themselves. But when they were young, I would take them to the dollar store before they had a really good sense of money and value and all of that. Because in the dollar store, there was nothing they couldn't pick out that they couldn't afford. All of the gifts, but they could pick anything they wanted. You know, so they would pick, (laughs) you know, 
things for their yeah. siblings. It was really, really sweet. So we'd have, you know, this special day where I take, take each of them, sometimes two at a time, sometimes one at a time, to the dollar store so they could do their Christmas shopping, right? Because I felt it was important for them to be able to pick what they wanted. And as they got older and were either saved up their own money or, or oh. received an allowance for Christmas gifts or whatever, then they could yeah. start choosing things. You know, I want a specific gift I want to get and I'd like to go to this store to get it or whatever. But it was so sweet to be able to just sort of let them free to to shop, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, next year I'm doing the dollar store instead. That's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. It was really interesting. And most dollar stores are yeah. really varied. You know, they have craft supplies, they have books, they have, you know, and I mean, some stuff in the dollar right. store is junky, but it, it just felt like it was, it gave them freedom to, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes they might need guidance. Like, oh, do you think they would, you know, like this air freshener? Well, maybe, you know, I don't know that what they would do with an air freshener, but you know, if you think it smells nice, you can get that. <laughs> maybe you should look at this department, you know, <laughs> give them some direction <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Do you have, do you have more questions? Uh, I do. Actually, I have one good one. It might be too big to take on the rest of this episode, but, um, so what would your advice be on how we as parents can deal with the frustrations of schooling a child with learning disabilities when we aren't finding the outside help? I can give an example. I suspect Oh, my yeah. one of my sons may be dyslexic. I'm not sure. Right. So I tried calling dyslexia institutes in my area and I've been told that they won't test kids until they are 9. So I have a small child right. who really really wants to learn and is just struggling with letters. Cannot he knows his ABCs. He can't look and tell right. you what letter it is if you point to it. So there's this disconnect happening. He wants to learn. He's trying to write things. He's, you know, and I just, I feel like I don't know what to do. I've tried seeking out help and they're like, oh, we can't help you yet. He has to be older. Right. Okay. So I don't know what the policy is for um, this particular organization, but I know Homeschool Connections recommends an organization for learning disabilities that apparently is really Mm -hmm. good. It's a Catholic organization, but I don't know. They may also have an age limit. I'm not sure. I I think my own inclination yeah. would be to do a lot of tactile stuff, a lot of auditory verbal stuff. I would bring in all the senses so that he's learning, but you're using other ways. Now, maybe yeah. it is that, you know, the dyslexic, dyslexic institutes are know that, okay, lots of people just doesn't click until they're nine. So maybe that's the decision that why they have that particular framework that they're using. But there's lots of things sure. that we can do instead of that. So we can make our sandwich in the shape of a D. We can talk about it. We can say, okay, let's let's point out today is D day, right? Maybe you go through the whole alphabet and every day is a different letter. What are all the things that start with A? So A can say A or A can say A. I mean, stick with the basic sounds. English is very confusing for kids, but but every time you happen across an A in your day, you could say, oh, look, it's Thursday. Look at that. There's an A right at the end of Thursday or can you pick out the A or trace you know take the take him look there's an A right here in Thursday you can trace and trace his finger over it play in sand or pipe cleaners or flour or you know make cookies that are in letter shapes I would just bring as in as many of the senses as you can because it will click but also not sort of like really breaking it down to the letters and the sounds they make Mm -hmm. and just having fun with it and, and bringing in lots of play 
right? That would be my inclination. Now, you know, I mean, it is a, it is kind of a big question. We could do a whole episode on, on helping kids learn letters before they're, before they're, it's really clicking. Uh, but that would be ultimately, yeah. I would say, uh, there's a lot of ideas we could explore, but the ideas would mostly be from my perspective and, and, you know, not everybody, the ideas aren't necessarily yeah. there for everybody if they've never experienced this, but bring in as many of the senses as you can smell taste, mm-hmm. squishing things through your hands, Play-Doh, sand, um, running, you know, going outside and making the shape of letter D with chalk and getting them to run that shape, drawing the letters on their back, pick a letter that they do know and just on your, on their back, make, uh, make it with your finger and see if they can guess it. Right. You know, things like that, as many of, of our senses mm-hmm. as we can. So, but that would be a good thing to explore for a whole episode, just throwing ideas around. Okay, what could we do with sight? What we could do with smell? What could we do with large body movements, small body movements, taste? What What are all the things we could do? So let's mm-hmm. tuck that away for another um, another episode. Love it. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> will you remember that? Should I write it down? Because I might not remember. <laughs> I'll remember because I'm struggling okay. with it. So. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, let's do that the next time we get together, maybe. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So should we call it a wrap? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. That was lovely, lovely discussion. And uh, we will see you in the next week or two. Thank you. Okay. Good night. Bye.